0: Welcome into another edition of Locked On Titans. I'm Jimmy Morris, joined by Terry Lambert. Terry, how are you today?
1: Doing pretty well. What's up, man?
2: Not too
0: much. We have got a couple of topics to cover today. So uh, it's Tuesday morning or lunchtime. We're recording this, so there will be another episode of Igniting the Fire tonight. Uh, so check that out, and we'll talk about that at some point later this week. Um, but hopefully, we get. We talked a little bit last week. If you, if you didn't listen to those shows, go back and listen about the, about Igniting the Fire, the show, and how we hope to see a little bit more. But the players' interaction with each other, and not as much of the coaches talking and stuff. So maybe that'll start to happen. We'll see uh, with the new episode coming out tonight. Uh, we'll jump into a couple of topics that we have today. Uh, Blake Bedingfield talked on the Midday 180 yesterday, a couple of interesting things that came out of that. He's the former Titans Director of Scouting, uh, and, then, uh, and a Dory Jackson topic that we'll cover. So uh, before we do all that, I remind you, Terry and I write from com. We cover the Titans for SB Nation, so you can check stuff out there. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jay Morris MCM. Terry's at T Lambert FB. Check us out both those places, and then for the podcast Locked On Titans, you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe to it there, so you get the new episodes as soon as they are available. All right. So, first topic today is uh, Blake Bettingfield, who was the director of scouting for the Titans for, or he was he was in the Titans scouting department for 16 years, and up until. This last year was was the director of scouting for a few years. talked about uh, the Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota thing. Um, you know he was he was there when when that draft happened, um, and just really the interesting part of it was he says, and this has been confirmed a couple other places, the Titans always liked Marcus Mariota over Jameis Winston. So even if they would have had the first pick that year, they would have drafted Mariota uh, if they had the option to draft both. But he did say that um, had the Bucks taken Mariota at one, the Titans probably would have selected Jameis Winston. Now, they would have had the reservations and all that kind of stuff, but that Jameis Winston probably would have been a Titan in that scenario. So don't know if there was any huge surprise out of that, but I did think it was interesting to, to kind of get that confirmation. But it did. For me, it was a little bit different because I kind of thought if the Titans would have had the chance to select... Winston they would have. I thought he was a guy that that wasn't hunt would've liked better. Um so that part of it was a little bit interesting to me.
1: Yeah, and you you think about what they had. The whole debate that year was uh I think it was Leonard Williams and you had Mettenberger on the roster. So you could give Mettenberger who it showed a little bit, um, the year before. Or you could uh you could go ahead and take Jameis or or uh, Marcus Mariota. Titans ended up taking Mariota. There was plenty of momentum in that Mettenberger camp early on. You know, I, I think people forget that. Uh, people latched on to Leonard Williams and really wanted them to take uh, take him. Um, but yeah, I would have, I would have, I, I would think that they would go with Jameis there. But I thought it was really interesting to hear him say. Man, we had some reservations there. We kind of would have begrudgingly picked Jameis if we had to. Uh, but you know, just thank God every day that that Marcus Mariota fell where he did. Uh, I thought he was the better player coming out. I, I thought he was the uh, a little more conservative. Uh, but you still saw him do some uh, some advanced stuff with his eyes, even though the the system at Oregon it was Chip Kelly's system, and or, uh, and, and you know he did some things with his with his eyes looking off of uh, looking off linebackers and safeties and that type of thing. Uh, so I thought he was the more advanced passer. I thought Jameis was a little reckless at times. I was surprised at, at, at Jameis going number one uh, and, and how that all played out. You know, he, It was no surprise that he went there at the time, but I was surprised that Marcus didn't emerge as the premier guy there. So uh, Titans got really lucky there, and I, I just I don't envy the Bucks at all. I, I don't know what you do with Jameis Winston at this point. Uh, quarterbacks are hard to come by. You know he's kind of a middle of the road passer right now, uh, but you also just don't let quarterbacks walk. So really interesting situation down in Tampa. Yeah, like you said, that, the the crunch
0: point is now, right? Because you've got now they, they got a decision to make. I mean, look, they got the fifth year option, so he can uh, he can play the next two years without them having to make a decision on a contract extension. Now, you know. I guess he said in his uh, apology or, you know, whatever it was that Winston issued that he stopped drinking and, you know, that was a a byproduct of all that and whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know any of that. And and so, I mean, I guess the Buccaneers, I mean, hopefully for their sake, they're familiar with all of that. And so they have a little bit more information on if he's grown up any and all that kind of stuff since then. But like you said, I mean, it's just, it was, it was good to get confirmation that the Titans would have taken Mariota, you know, whenever they had the chance, whether it would have been first or second um, and, like you said, just thankful that the Bucks went ahead and, and took Jameis and so the Titans weren't faced with that decision. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's another situation that, that probably we could revisit at some point, just the whole the, – the temperature around the franchise at that point, and like you said, there was, uh, there was a lot of momentum for Mettenberg. Um, there were at least people that thought that he was good enough and that you could – you know, you didn't have to take a quarterback there. You, you could have taken a player like a Leonard Williams, um, you, know, you know, somebody like that. So um, you, you kind of forget, as, as the years go by, all of, this, all of the other stuff that was going on there with the franchise. So, um, you know, do you remember there was the whole thing when they had the draft party at, at Nissan State? I don't remember if it was called Nissan State at the time. It might, might have still been LP, LP Field. But, and you know, there was the reaction to of just, uh, Justin Hunter and Kendall Wright when they drafted uh, Mariota. Because you know everybody yeah. made it, and they liked Mettenberg, and they were mad at the Titans took a quarterback. And it's just it just think, thinking about you just forget some of that some of that stuff that was going on.
1: There was so much momentum for Mettenberg. It was it was strange, uh, and and now you got I think he's still dating uh, Hunt's daughter or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's an interesting dynamic too. But yeah, yeah, at the beginning of that draft. Uh, that draft season it, it it seemed like it was Leonard Williams or or, or bust, and I just thought that was wild. You know how often do you get to pick up in the top three? How often do you have these top two quarterbacks up at the top of the class? So the Titans had no choice in, in my mind. and, and I remember Wizen hunt uh, saying about Mariota just how he remembered plays and, and how that sold him. There was a he recalled a certain play at Oregon, just a random third down play. Uh, and, and how that sold him. So uh, that always sticks out to me. Um, that that's just uh, that that's very Mariota. Uh, you know, for him to remember a specific play at Oregon from his college days. So uh, thankful that Rustin Webster, Ken Wisenhunt, at least gave us Taylor Lewan and Marcus Mariota.
0: Yeah, that's, and that's definitely point too. Like Rustin Webster was terrible. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Awful. But the two, like you said, the two cornerstones of what we have right now. Um, it came from Rustin Webster, uh, and so at least he was able to hit on, on a couple of picks there. So, anyway, that that was just an interesting nugget to get. And, and if you didn't get to listen to Bettingfield on the midday one eighty, you can go look. They they podcast everything now, all, all their stuff. So you can go you can go search for that. Um, it, it was worth listening. To. He was on for a whole, a, a whole hour, and it was good. It, it, you don't get much opportunity to um, hear behind the scenes stuff like that. And they've had him on a couple times, and he, he's done a great job. So cool to hear there. All right, so coming up, we'll talk a little bit about um, Adori and the chances of him being used on offense this season. All right, so Terry, I think you have the quote up from Adori talking about wanting to play offense maybe more of this year.
1: Yeah, Adori was on Good Morning Football on Friday morning. Um, And he was asked about playing offense, of course. You know, that's what everyone wants to know. Uh, And and he told him, he said, I'm that bug in his ear just trying to make sure I keep being out there if I can. Whatever he needs me to do, focusing on defense and special teams as in returning. But if he throws me out there, I'm going to be excited and fired up. So, clearly the guy has has a passion to, to play offense he's got a he's got a desire to, to have the football in his hands and and you know that's that's he's right in that uh, he's special we saw it in flashes last year uh, we saw him get in space make some people miss make some big plays uh, and give the Titans something they didn't have which was an electric offensive playmaker uh, an explosive playmaker and they they typically used him in the backfield so I'm not I'm not totally opposed uh, to using him on offense, but uh, now with Dion Lewis who is going to be a, a huge factor in this passing game I don't know where you put him, I don't know where you line him up maybe you get creative and put him in the backfield with Dion Lewis maybe with Derrick Henry uh, but I don't, I don't want him playing receiver because I think there's a lot of nuance to receiver I think you've got another route tree I don't think you can get, just throw him out there and tell him to go run, dig routes and out routes and, and stuff like that. It's precise down to like the half yard line. Uh, so it, I'm I'm interested in in utilizing him as a playmaker. I just don't know where I'm putting him in this offense now.
0: Yeah, I think that's the interesting part of this. Is last year there was a huge need for him on offense because, like you said, he, he's a playmaker. He's really good with the ball in his hands, and you you had a lack of that, um, the the whole speed dynamic uh, of the everything. But now with Deion Lewis being on board, you think okay, they can use him in, in some of those same you know in those same situations, and he's he's a better offensive player than Dory Jackson is. So there's a lot, and we talked so much last year at the beginning of the year about Dory Jackson and about how you know, when he was in college, he, he did, you know, he played special teams, he played offense, he played defense, he ran track. So we talked all about, you know, the, the the lack of, you know, football practice he had compared to other guys or, you know, cornerback practice that he had compared to other guys that come out that are those blue chip prospect cornerbacks that did nothing but play cornerback in college, um, you know, and, and he was different than that. The, the, the funny thing was last year, he was probably, you know, we thought, or at least I thought, he would make an immediate impact on special teams. And then he would kind of start off slow at corner and then come along, you know, as year one ended up into year two. I think he played a lot better than I expected him to at corner last year and wasn't quite as good in the return game as I thought he would be. Um, but, yeah, when you talk about splitting his time uh, between all the different things, I just I, if, it, if it's a thing that's, a benefit that's really going to help you, I understand why you do it. You know, we saw the, the Titans did that all the way back with Pac-Man Jones. You, you know, he had, a, he had a package deal um, of some plays. So, you know, maybe if you look at something like that, but like you're saying, if if you're going to use him now, it seems like the the most effective way to use him, or you know, the, the biggest upgrade or to get the biggest impact on offense would be out of or, or as a receiver to, to maybe take top off the defense or something like that. And like you're saying, there, there's so much nuance that goes into playing receiver How much time does he have to do that? Would it really be effective? So, I don't know. Do you you think this group will will give him some snaps on offense this year?
1: I could see it. Uh, I think it would be more of a decoy role, and I think that's probably for the best. You know, I I see Marcus lining up in shotgun with Adorey on his right, Deion Lewis on his left, something like that. Uh, You you get both guys going uh, different directions, and you pick one to throw to, something like that. Uh, I, I don't want him playing... Any at receiver, any at legitimate receiver. I don't want him running routes or anything, unless it's a, a nine route right down the field, uh, which he could certainly do. Uh, you know, you talk about Taywan Taylor, a guy that we've been a little frustrated with. Uh, maybe that's fair, maybe it's not. But Adore would be playing his role if he did play any receiver at all. So I would much rather see Taywan Taylor, a guy that's getting plenty of work at receiver, a guy that that you know that's what he's supposed to do. Uh, I'd rather see him get those. But, yeah, going back to Dory on uh, on the return game, a lot of people forget he had, I think it was two called back, two touchdowns yeah, called that's back true. Um, due to uh, blocking the backs. You know Whether they were blocking the backs or not is a different story. But they were called back. So I think the spark is there. He, he had a couple bonehead uh, returns, uh, decisions to catch the ball deep and, and stuff like that. Uh, you got to remember he's still a rookie. I think he's still going to be coming along. But the strides he made at cornerback, especially in the second half of the season, he was one of the better corners. Uh, maybe not one of the better ones in the league, but he came, along. He came a long way from that uh, first Bears game where they uh, they targeted him five or six times on his first, uh, first career drive in the NFL. So uh, excited for him at corner. I don't mind sprinkling him in, but at the same time, yeah, I I want him focusing on on what he was drafted to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it was a it was a very pleasant surprise to see how good he was at corner in year one because I didn't expect that, and, and I was going to be okay with you know some some pretty significant bumps in that road, but he came in and was better than everybody expected. So that's got that has to have you excited um, about you know what what they have in him going forward. Like you said, as he comes out of his rookie year, he's only going to improve from there. So. Um, yeah it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with that and we saw it last year more at the beginning of the year at the end they they kind of abandoned it so um anyway it'll be interesting to see what how this new group feels like that
2: feels about that
0: all right before we wrap up today uh a word from
2: one of our newer sponsors guys remember the days when you're always ready to go in bed now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence listen up bluechew.com that's blue like the color blue bluechew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Since they're chewable, they work twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever that opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. All right, so that'll do it for
0: today's episode. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll try to get another one out this week, um, probably not till the end of the week, with the 4th of July coming up on Wednesday. So hope everybody has a safe and fun holiday on the 4th. Uh, we're now just a couple of weeks away from training camp, so it won't be long until we'll have actual on-the-field stuff to talk about. Uh, we'll you know, be putting out shows more often, obviously, when that starts happening, so we're excited about that and appreciate you staying with us through these lean times. Uh, like I said in the meantime, check out musicandmiracles.com uh, where you can get all your Titans information, any news that breaks anything there. You can you can find that there. Um, and you can also again follow us on Twitter at Morris mcm at T Lambert FB or the podcast account at Locked on Titans. So for Terry, this is Jimmy saying thanks for listening and we will talk to you again later this week.